What do you do and who do you look to when everything is going wrong in your life? At some point or another, we all face those moments when everything goes wrong. It's usually a Monday, but sometimes other days too. Everything's fine, and then all of a sudden it's not. Everything's great at work, and then all of a sudden it's blowing up. Everything's fine with the family or the kids or, or your relationship, and then all of a sudden it's like, where'd this come from? And the question is, what do you do? Who do you turn to in those moments? Because we all have a go-to move. For some of us, our go-to move is we, we look to someone else. We call a family member. We call a friend. What would you do? Give me some advice. Pray for me. Help me. Would you meet me? Some of us, we, we go inward. We internalize. We isolate. We, we escape from the world, escape from things, or we buckle down and we push through because that's what we do. Some of us, we go for a long run. Others of us, we binge watch something or we just binge anything and we just try to cope. The question is, what do you do? Who do you go to and look to when everything is going wrong? There are a lot of things that we can do, a lot of people that we can look to. While these things may soothe our soul, even feel like a solution for a brief season, what we're going to see today in the Psalms is that there's only one, really, who's strong enough to save, to truly save. As we continue through the Psalms in this, our series, Summer Mixtape, looking at the songs of Scripture, these cries to God, these worship moments, these laments, these prayers, today we come into Psalm 62. It's dubbed a Psalm of Confidence because David's expressing his confidence in God, God's ability to save him, God's ability to provide and deliver him. But what we're going to find is that it's actually and also a, a Psalm of Challenge, a psalm of challenge because it's going to force us to ask this question, who do you look to? When things are going wrong, when things are tough, who do you look to? So turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 62. The book of Psalms, halfway through your Bible, so aim there if you have a physical Bible. Otherwise, grab it, pull it up on whatever device you use. This is a psalm of David, a psalm of confidence. And David writes these words in Psalm 62, beginning with me at verse 1. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. 
It's easy to see why this is dubbed a psalm of confidence. David's expressing his confidence in God. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. He alone is my rock and my salvation. But the context in this, or behind this rather, makes it richer than just a psalm of confidence. Verses 3 and 4, we can tell David is being oppressed. There's someone literally opposing him. We, we believe that this psalm was written during the time when David's son Absalom was rising up against his father and seeking the kingdom away from his father. A, a literal coup, if you will. The story comes from 2 Samuel 15. There we find Absalom, who's one of David's favored sons. The scriptures say he was beloved by the people and describes him as handsome and with long flowing hair. So picture the Fabio or the Jason Momoa of the Old Testament, right? This is Absalom. And yet he's seeing his father age and he's seeing his father's decisions and this seed in his heart begins to grow where he's questioning whether his father can still hold it together. He's questioning his father's decisions. He's questioning what his father has decided. Things in the family have been rough. I'll let you read the history there. But in the midst of these questions, Absalom begins to think, I could rule better. I would be more just. I would be more powerful. So Absalom begins to gather people to himself. Second Samuel says that each morning he would go down to the city gates and as people were coming in to do business, as they were coming in to seek counsel, he would stop them and he would win them over. He would make promises to them and will, he would win allegiance from them. Ultimately, the people's hearts drew to Absalom. And in the midst of this, he also pulled one of David's counselors to him. And with this, he set off. He created a feast for himself. And through this feast, this party, and with all the men there, and with this David's counselor in their midst, he crowned himself as king. He had the men hail him as king. And he sought in that moment a coup to take the kingdom from his father. You see then, this moment that David is speaking of, one of the hardest moments in David's reign, one of the lowest points, everything was going wrong. It felt as though he was about to break. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Feeling like a leaning wall, them believing he's just a tottering fence. They planned to thrust him from his high position, verse four. And yet with that backdrop, Read again David's opening words. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock. There are countless things that you can do, countless people that you can turn to, but David begins with the words, for God alone. I look to him alone. In fact, four times in this psalm, he says, God alone, he alone, God alone, he alone. When life is crushing in, it's not God plus for David, it's God alone. When life is crushing in, it's not God plus good counsel. When there's something weird on the scan and they fear it's cancer, it's not God plus the treatment. When the relationship is imploding, it's not God plus. Because all those things, as good as they are, and as much as they're gifts from God to us, they alone cannot save. And David understands that. David understands if God doesn't move, none of this rest, 
None of the rest of the advice or the counsel or the treatment or the doctors or the relationships, none of it matters. God alone. His confidence is in God alone. He's saying simply and only, God alone only will save. Is that the level of your confidence in God? Is that how you live? Or do you live God plus? David's facing opposition. Says verse two, he alone is my rock salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Think about that from the perspective of a king, right? Who builds a fortress so that he will not be shaken. And yet David is not looking into that. He has all of the armies at his disposal. And yet he's not taking confidence in that. He has this sling that he used to kill Goliath. I'm sure it's tucked away, right? Maybe on display behind glass with a little light on it. But he's not trusting in that. He says, he alone, my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. You think of a king held down in fortress, the impenetrable rock, solid walls. If our president is threatened, they take him to a bunker, right? And we all rest easy. He's in the bunker, right? Man, those walls, no one can touch him. We say not even a nuke could reach him there. And the president then can rest easy. Consider what David is saying. Those who place their trust in God, they can know that nothing will break through his walls. Those who place their faith in him can rest assured not even a nuke can move his hands. This is the level of David's confidence. It's the psalm of confidence. Is that the level of your confidence in God? Is that the way that you look at him We come to this place and we hear these words and we nod our heads. We sing these songs declaring that God alone and we wipe a tear from our eye and we send a message to the worship pastor, I really needed that song this week. I needed that reminder. The question is, do we live outside of this room with the confidence that we had when we were in this room? Because so often we leave this place and we face life again and we find ourselves discouraged. And we find ourselves doubting and wondering. David says, God alone. For David, it was not God plus. And yet so often we we live with one eye on God and one eye on our bank account. Hey, this was unexpected, but honey, I I think we have enough. I think it's going to be okay. And God's going to get us through. We live with one eye on God and one eye on the White House. We live with one eye on God and one eye on you fill in the blank. What do you look to? Where does your confidence really lie? This psalm is going to force us to ask a question. And the question is simply this. Are you more of a God alone or a God plus kind of person? How do you live your life? Do you live as more of a God alone or a God plus kind of existence? What's the posture? David knows the tendency of our hearts and the tendency of our hearts to drift to other things, to keep one eye on God, but maybe one eye on something else. And in the midst of these moments, then David writes these words. Pick it up with me again, verse five. For God alone, he repeats, oh, my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. 
On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. But those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. David knows the tendency of our hearts, so he repeats again, both to himself, but also now to us, for God alone. It's the second time he's affirmed this hope, God alone, he only. But it's also the second time that you see that second phrase there, my soul waits in silence. We saw it in verse 1, here again, verse 5, my soul wait in silence. Literally means that my soul rests, my soul rests before God. What does it look like to have a soul at rest? It means that you're not anxious. It means that you're not worried. My soul rests. David is saying, my heart is still before God. It is not stirred and, and shaken and anxious because I know that my God will save. My soul rests. Think about it. Our hearts and our minds, they, they race when we worry. They race when we're fearful. When we're facing something that has caught us off guard or by surprise and we're overwhelmed by it, the bills that have come in that were unexpected, the tuition that has gone up, the relationship drama that we weren't expecting, I didn't mean it like that. In the midst of these moments, our minds just go through all of the what ifs. Well, what if this? What if they do that? What if that? And the more what ifs we ask, the more it winds everything up and the less sleep we get. Ever been there? David says, my soul waits in silence. It rests. My heart isn't consumed with all of the what ifs because I know God knows them all and has them all in the palm of his hand. It's the level of his confidence in his God. He calls us then to take up this kind of trust ourselves. Verse 8, trust in him at all times, O people. He's not just expressing his own trust. He's calling us to bear it with him, to trust in him. Why? He says, because God is a refuge. God is a refuge. I think of this, I think of seeking refuge. I think of going into that place where there is refuge this spring, we've had countless storms. Even this summer, some storms have come through that we don't normally have in the middle of, of the summer. And, and our dog, for as fierce as he is when there's someone on the other side of the door, becomes just a baby when people walk in, and especially when a storm rolls through. The minute he hears thunder of any kind, we know where we can find Chase. Back in the master closet, hiding under the clothes, sleeping away. That's where our dog goes. That's where he defends our family. <laughs> our master closet's at the, the center of the house. It's a U-shaped, clothes all around and a big U. And all of the clothes, right, they, they, they make that the, the place where sound doesn't get through. You can't hear anything in the house or really out of the house. And so when a big storm comes through, the dog curls up under, under one of the racks of clothes and he just sleeps in the corner and waits for it to pass through. And, and there he, he sleeps because you don't hear anything else. It's a picture of his refuge. It's a picture of what David is calling us to. When the storms of life start rolling in, where do we run? 
Where do we curl up? We curl up in a binge somewhere? In a TV show somewhere? We numb the pain somewhere or somehow? Or do we take refuge in the only one who is strong enough to save? And we find in God such confidence that we rest, feeling like it can't get in here because my God is too great. What's the level of your confidence? David says, my God is my refuge, and he calls us to take this God, his God, which should be our God as our refuge too. And in contrast, he does say there are other things that we can trust. Verses 9 and 10, two other things that we can look to. The first, we can look to others. He says, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. Those of low estate, those of high estate. He's covering the spectrum here, the entire spectrum. You can look to someone who's just a hard, good, solid, working American or you know, the, the most successful of all the successful. It doesn't matter. Whichever end of the spectrum that you go, you will find the same thing. Man is but a breath. No matter how hard you work, you're not exempt from heartache. No matter how successful you become, you cannot control your circumstances. Man is but a breath. And David, looking at the spectrum, says, man, don't, don't trust. Don't put your trust in others. Don't put your trust in those out there and their counsel and their advice even. They can't save. The most successful among us still deal in heartache. They still face the grave. No one can control what will come, so don't put your trust in them. But then secondly, he says, don't put your trust in wealth. Whether it's wealth that you've earned rightfully or whether it's wealth that you've grabbed it says no trust in extortion, put no vain hope and robbery. And these aren't just symbolic of money. They're symbolic of your own hard work, like finding a way through, making your own path, controlling your own destiny, however you want to put it. Right? Extortion or, or robbery, like we're going to connive and we're going to work our way through this and make it to the top. David says, but don't, don't put your trust in that. It's fleeting. It's fleeting. We, we think, from our perspective, we just had a little bit more than, than this storm wouldn't be so bad. We could weather this storm. If we just had fill in the blank, then it would be better. Think about it. Having more didn't save Bill Gates from divorce. Having more didn't keep Steve Jobs from getting cancer and dying from it. He could afford the best treatment in the world, and it didn't work. David says, don't put your hope in men, and don't put your hope in wealth, because it has limits. It's but a breath. So he says, I've put my hope only, only in God. He is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my fortress. He is my refuge. David's point is very clear and very simple. Trust in God at all times because everything else is a vain hope that will fail you. Trust in God at all times because everything else is a vain hope that will fail you. But oh, how often we live God plus. We put our hope in these vain things. The next promotion, the next upgrade, if we get this, that'll satisfy that. 
David says, but all these things are but a vain hope. So he finishes with these words, verses 11 and 12. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. David's using poetic idiom here. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard. He, he's not saying that God has only said this two times. And he's not saying that God spoke to him in this way two times, right? He's using poetic idiom. It's the same thing in our culture. We have this expression that we say, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. Thank you. Someone in the first service said two times. <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> if I've heard it once, I've heard it two times. No, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times, right? We say this as this exasperated thing, like when our kid is saying, you know, you've ruined my life. If I heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times, right? Like we get exasperated. We make this embellished claim. David is using this poetic idiom. Once God has said, twice I've heard this, meaning it's been said in the scriptures, and if I've heard it once in the scriptures, I've heard it a thousand times, that to God alone belongs all power, and that God alone has steadfast love. If the scriptures have said it once, they've said it a thousand times, that our God alone has all the power, and our God alone possesses a steadfast, unbreakable love. Think about these things. He has all power, David is reassuring you. If God can hold the sun and the moon and stars in place, then that means he can certainly hold on to you. Some of you need to hear that. Maybe hear it again. If God can hold the sun, moon, and stars in their place, then he can certainly hold on to you. Your plight, your pain, is not unknown to him. He sees you. He loves you. His very Hairs on your head counted. That's how closely he watches over you. And he promises he will be near to you. And in fact, the promise of the scripture is that he's nearest to the brokenhearted. Take comfort that God, the all-powerful God, is near to you. And not only this, he doubles down and he says, I've also heard that not only does all power belong to God, but to God alone belongs steadfast love. Now that word there in the Hebrew is a very important word all through the scriptures. We translate as steadfast love. There's not a great one-to-one uh, -one, uh, equation in, in, in the English language. The reality is we, we lack the word for it. It's not like an affectionate love, an emotional love. It's a deeply committed love. In the Hebrew, it's this word chesed, and it refers to a covenant, a covenantal love. That God has made a covenant with his people, and he bears this covenant-keeping love. Meaning his love for you is not because he saw you and liked you and thinks you're great, his love for you is rooted in the fact that he made a promise and God keeps his promises. 
David says, God is not only all powerful, God is a promise keeping, covenant keeping God. And for those reasons alone, you and your soul can wait in silence and rest before him because he is in control. He will uphold you and he will save you. For this reason, he closes saying, for you, God will render to a man according to his work. David's not saying, hey, like, if you do good, good will come to you. No, he's going back. He's already referenced this covenant-keeping love. And the promise in the scriptures, the promise according to the covenant, is that those who trust in him, he will remember. Those who trust in him, he will save. David's saying here, those who trust in him, he will render salvation. Those who trust in these other things, these vain hopes, then that's what you're left with. He'll render to you according to where you have put your trust. All of this then for David culminates in this final message, this promise, this reminder to us that the hope of the scripture is that God alone has the power, that God alone has the loyal love to save us. Such simple truths that come through the scriptures. But don't let the simple truths make you think that it's not a profound or important message. The hope of the scripture, the promise of the scripture, really the promise of God, is that he has the power and the loyal love to save you. And he will see it through. Maybe you're here today and you've been in a season where you're struggling to believe that still. You're struggling to feel that still. Listen to the promises of our covenant-keeping God. Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 55.22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you, be not dismayed for I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I could read these verses all day long until the sun sets because God has promised it so many times. And if the scriptures have said it once, they've said it a thousand times. But God alone is strong to save. God alone is faithful to his promises and his promises are to his people. And if you've placed your faith in him, then you can know that he will come through for you. There's this Greek poet and playwright, Euripides, and he wrote this, this play about a king who found himself at, odd, at odds with the gods. And, and as a result, his life was being requested of him. He was going to lose his life. And as he pleaded for life, 
But God's told them that there's, there's no hope unless, unless you can find someone who will give up their life in place for yours. Of course, much of the play then is who's going to give up their life for this, this king who's crossed the gods. Until right at the end, in the final moment, his wife, his own wife, Alcestis, Alcestis comes and she sacrifices her life on behalf of her beloved. To the Greeks, it was a great tragedy. But the scriptures point to a great reality. The scriptures tell us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whosoever believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting And God, in his great love for you, not only gave up his son for you, but he pulled his son from the grave to prove that he has the power over death. That the proof of that empty tomb might resonate in our hearts and minds that he controls all things. And if the grave is not so big that it weighs him down, if he has power even over death, then there isn't anything that you and I are walking through that he cannot see us through. And if the scriptures have said it once, they've said it a thousand times. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. The question is, what's your confidence in God? What kind of life are you leading? Is it a God-only or a God-plus posture. My prayer today is that it would be a God alone. Would you pray with me as we close? Maybe today you're recognizing through this tug on your heart that you have been looking to other things, waiting on other things, expecting that if these things just come together, then everything will be fine. But you're finding yourself in a place now where you realize they're not fine. Would you place your hope and your trust in God alone today? Scriptures say that if we call on him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. God's greatest concern is not just the circumstances of today, but our eternity. Would you place your trust in him for your eternity? We do that by simply confessing our sin. And when we confess it, he's faithful. He will save. If you don't know where to begin in that conversation with God, would you just pray along with me right where you are? Father God, I confess. I confess I've searched. I confess I've wandered. I confess I've tried on my own and everything has failed. Father, I come today needing your grace, needing your restoration. Father, would you restore me? Would you forgive me? Would you be my rock, my fortress, my refuge in this season of chaos? Lord, I place my faith and trust in you alone. 
pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Know that if you prayed that prayer today, he is faithful and just. You are forgiven. And so let us come boldly and let us sing these songs with rejoicing on our lips for our God is faithful. For our God is powerful. We need only his presence, more of him. Amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.